Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of We Talk Photo. I'm one of your hosts, John Peterson. And with me, while he's even on sabbatical, is Mr. Jack Graham. Well, I'm not really on sabbatical yet. I've been actually working about as much as I have been. But I think I'm going to kind of disappear here in another week or so for a couple weeks and see what goes on. Yeah, he's trying to get on sabbatical little by little. But, you know, it's hard to unwind. Uh, it's hard to unwind a, a whole bunch of work. And, uh, you know, that would when registrations for the fall are coming in, you know, I can't not deal with it. So I know, business it's all good. Have to continue. It's all good. You it's bet. All good. Well, it's on today's good. show, we have a wonderful guest. We have uh, a Mr. Darren White. Darren is a, a native Oregonian, thankfully. Yay. Um, but he's <laughs> recently relocated to uh, Colorado in the last few years and Darren's been a longtime photographer, kind of a, a little bit of an old school photographer, and uh, we're really glad that he can join us today. Hi, Darren. How you guys doing? Darren, it's great to hear you again. It's been too long. It has been. I, uh, Even though I've moved to Colorado, I'm, I'm looking forward to one day moving back to Oregon, so that's the goal. Well, that's okay. Best of both worlds. Not that yeah. far. Yep. For Not sure. So, so, Darren, you grew up on the... I'll just kind of jump right in real quick. You grew up on the Oregon coast, right? Yep. I was born and raised in Tillamook. So how does it feel moving to a landlocked state where there's no ocean? Um, it's hard for me personally. I'm, I'm a Pisces by my birth sign. Um, water is always something I've been attracted to. Um there's a few waterfalls here in Colorado, but nothing like Oregon. There's obviously no oceans. Um, it's probably one of the reasons I travel back to Oregon four to six times a year. So yeah, I mean we're spo- I, we're spoiled in the Northwest with so much water for those people that are water folks. Right. I, where are you in Colorado? Um, just southwest of Denver and Littleton. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've, if I had to. If I had to, to move to Colorado and never be able to or have the ability to go back to Oregon, it would be much worse than it is. But I, I'm already – I mean, Colorado is a beautiful state. Don't get me wrong, but I'm definitely ready to be back in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're ready for you. So you when you're yeah, ready, you, we're ready. You can't deny the Columbia River Gorge for waterfalls. You can't, and you can't deny the, uh, the the my my window here that looks <laughs> like a, a dirty lens because it's raining like crazy. It's you know what? For thirty-five degrees, it's going to snow and yeah. ice, and uh, I haven't seen the sun in quite a while. So it's, that, uh, that's okay with me. Um, when you go from when you go from growing up in 80 inches of rain a year and moving to 300 plus days of sunshine a year, uh, that's pretty hard. And it's hard for people to go the other way as well. So I know people that move to the Northwest and they're only there for a few months and they're like, I hate it. It's raining. It's cloudy. And they move back. And for me, it's the exact opposite. I, I'd much rather be in the rain and the overcast and the, and the wet, damp weather than 300 days of clear blue skies. So well, you'd love it this week. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna see temps. I'll be back in a couple of weeks, so it's all but, good. Well, pack your warm clothes. I just saw the weather, and we're looking at like 15 to 17 degrees for a low. So in Oregon, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty dramatic. 
Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be down in Band in the middle of February. Nice. Oh, good. Get some drama down there. You know, we were at the coast for Christmas, and there's less people. The waves are great. No marine layer, so you get you know great sunsets and yeah. The one on one is drivable. Um, you know, it's 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 all good. Yep, I love it down there. Awesome. So, hey, Jack, let me. You know, the one thing we didn't talk about is there anything new in the news that's coming up uh, worth talking yeah. about? Um, I don't know. It's going to be cold. That's new. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you know, a, a couple of things. Uh, I actually read on Petapixel today about the XT4 that supposedly is coming in the spring, the Fuji XT4. You know, I'm an ex photographer, so I guess a lot of people think I know about these things, but Fuji corporate keeps things quite uh, quite confidential. I've not talked to anybody about it, but I keep seeing, um, you know, these, uh, these little articles about it. It's supposed to have IBIS. Sure, it'll be a great camera. Um, that's one thing. The other thing that really popped out at me, John and Darren, is I read an article that Canon is going to quit making EF. Well, not quit making. They're only going to keep producing the EF lenses that they currently have. No more non-mirrorless lenses. They're all in on mirrorless. That's a huge step. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and at the same time. Our friends at Nikon keep bringing out cameras. They're going to have this D6 and this uh, 750, whatever it is. 780. 780, yeah. And a uh, couple lenses. They have a, what is it, a 120 to 300 at $10,000, a 2.8 lens. 2.8, yeah. You know, and, 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 and <laughs> you know, they just brought, they just did this cool, a cool Pix 950 with like a 24 to 2,000 millimeter lens. Now, wouldn't you think they'd be, like, really hunkering down in mirrorless and not dealing with this other stuff? Uh, Canon, it seems to be. It's an interesting interesting thing, you know. Maybe they're, maybe they're deciding to stay traditional in the hopes that mirrorless might burn out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, mirrorless <laughs> is not burning out. No. But, um, you know, who knows what goes in the mind of the, of the corporate boardrooms. Uh, you know, I don't even want to know. No. Yeah, I don't even want to know. But the the coolest thing I read this week, Darren, we always start with a little of this news. It's kind of like, sure. you know, um, I, I, somebody's developing a sulfur battery that's supposed to quadruple a battery life. Is it I read smell? that. Uh, pro- I hope not, but <laughs> at least it, it, I could take the smell if I could get you know more battery life any yeah. day of the week. You know. And yeah, that's all I saw. Then we have this big moon coming here over the weekend, and I'm not going to see. Darren, you might. I don't the, think so. It's supposed to snow here today. The wolf moon. I think there's a partial eclipse of it too, but I don't know. I'm Maybe not worried about it. I'm not going to see it. <laughs> no, no, not me either. How about you, John? Anything on your end? Nothing big in the news that I've been reading. It's been it's actually been fairly quiet after the holidays, which is good, which is super good. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm sick and tired of hearing about all this, the politics stuff and the yeah. this, that, and the other thing. So I kind of tune out a little bit. Yeah. And that's, I was kind of watching CES to see what sort of trends might be coming down the road. The CES convention's going on, uh, or I think it just finished. And uh, you know, the only thing I saw, my wife was there. The only thing I saw out of there was this new Mercedes. Did you see that? That the Maybach. 
that that crazy car they were showing down there mm-hmm. without a steering wheel <laughs> had a gearbox no steering wheel so i ordered two one for you john and one for me thanks jack <laughs> that's nice of you i got yours in british racing green oh perfect yeah perfect. yeah yeah you all could, right well you so could, you put it in your driveway down there in Oregon, that'll go over. Yeah. I'm going to lock it away in the garage. Eh, you got stuff locked in the garage, I know about yeah. it. So yeah, um, just a little bit. Yeah. So, Darren, let's let's talk about you a little bit. Okay. So, for those people who don't know who Darren White is, why don't you give us a little overview? Okay, as, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, born and raised on the Oregon coast, Started shooting film cameras when I was 12 years old. Um, I've worked for newspapers, photo labs, um, pretty much a self-taught photographer. Switched over to digital in 2006 and just kind of went from there. And I shot film and digital up until last year when I finally had to to make a decision, you know, am I going to shoot film or digital or both? And as, as much as I wanted to shoot both, um, the resources for completing a picture from start to finish just aren't there anymore. Um, not in a timely manner anyway, unless you have a whole setup at your house, which I don't. So the nearest place for me to develop slide film, I have to drive an hour away to drop it off and have it and get it and have it back. So I just talk about patience. Yeah. Well, they run thin after a while. And so I just eventually, I, I still have, you know, all my slides and all my film, some of it's in boxes in the garage and stuff, but I, I just made a conscious decision that, you know, if I'm going to put my energy into something, as much as I love film, I'm, I'm just going to stick with digital. It's, um, for me personally, it's, it's just easier to complete the process from capture to print. Um, and, and really the print is the end, the end stage of any photograph. So that's where I'm at now. And after, after living in Oregon for up until, um, 2013 we moved to colorado and so we've been here now for just just under seven years um and i've been full-time ever since i moved to colorado um yeah doing workshops yeah so so you lead you lead workshops you've been a workshop leader for many years now right yeah seven years yeah, that's great. I know you, you still do a couple of them on the Oregon coast. I think one in Yahats as well, which is my, my second hometown. So, yeah, I do. I do one or two a year in Yahats, and um, this year I'm starting to do to do some in Bandon. Um, the one I have in February coming up is is down in Bandon, and it's four full days. So I'll probably split more time towards Bandon and Yahats and the Port Orford area um, when I'm not doing the night photography workshops during the summertime. You know, the south coast of Oregon, once you get south, as, uh, the further south you get away from Newport, the crowds thin out, and uh, and I think it's a, I actually think it's a prettier area, the coast, you know? It, it is. It, it, 
it's a lot prettier. Um, and like I tell people, it's, you know, you get down to the Bandon, the Brookings area. Um, you know, it's too far from Sacramento. It's too far from Portland. People just don't want to go. So it's kind of in that no man's land. And uh, the people who are willing to go there, they're they're often rewarded very well with images. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you've been there, but I mean, I've been on a beach in Bandon and literally it was like four people on the beach and the beach has got to be about four or five miles long i guess yeah it's it's huge and it's beautiful and you know they there's just not anybody there you don't have to worry about people getting in your way you don't have to worry about you know whether or not you're going to be in somebody else's shot you know what i think we need to tell them the truth it's so crowded there it's miserable you can't get a shot there there's nothing to see there folks stay away yeah, we'll we, 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 we end up like another Mesa Arch if we keep this up. You know? Yeah, I mean we've talked a lot about these icon locations and how they're just not—they're not worth visiting anymore because there's so many people, and so many of us are seeking out these less populated locations. Um, mm-hmm. Abandoned in that area south is one of those. It's a gem. Yeah, I was looking back at some of my images, and and I've been photographing Bandon now for almost 15 years. And I've watched watched it change quite a bit in those fifteen years, but it's still not not to a a level where I'm going to quit going. There's too many images around there, and everywhere you look, there's something to photograph. And I've come to the point, you know, I I haven't taken a non monochrome photograph at Bandon now in two years. Everything I'm doing there is in monochrome. It's what it does for me. Yeah. It, it definitely lends itself well to that, you know. Well, good. That's a gr- that's a good thing. So you'll have a great time down there in February. Um, it's a great time to be there. Yeah. So, Darren, um, yeah. Even, even though this is not a technical podcast per se, just curious, are you still a Nikon shooter? I am. Um, there's kind of a funny story behind that. Uh, I was a Nikon shooter. I went to Canon. In 2000, at the end of 2009, when I tipped my Nikon D300 over into a waterfall of Eagle Creek, <laughs> and at the time the 5D Mark II was the one of the best cameras out there, and I had only had one Nikon lens at the time, and so I thought, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Canon a shot. So I did, and and the difference between the the D300 and the the Nikon or the 5D Mark II was was substantial, and I thought this is this is the best camera ever made. I said I never have to buy another camera until, and, <laughs> and uh, I kept waiting. So I had the, I ended up having that camera for almost four years, and I kept waiting and waiting for Canon to put out something with more megapixels, potentially a larger frame or a larger sensor. Um, and they just kept throwing out crop sensor cameras, and I'm like, this is insane. And so one day I woke up and I sold all my Canon gear on Facebook in one day and went back to Nikon and purchased the D810. And I had that for about four years. And then just in, in November, um, a year ago in November, I bought the D850. Nice. So you know, it's 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 funny what you said because the five D Mark II was my last Canon camera because I too was waiting around for a long time and then Fuji happened to come along and and I jumped ship immediately and and yeah I loved that Mark II that was that was a killer camera for the time. 
Yeah, at the time it was. And a workhorse. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, nice, nice. So let's, let's uh, you know, before we got started recording this, we were talking a little bit about processing and what's real and what's not and and film. And let's let's maybe pick that topic up again. Um, and, and I think one of the things that sort of resonated with me when we were talking, Darren, is your your philosophy that, that mirrors a lot of what Jack and I think as well of trying to capture things correctly in the camera instead of working in post to create an image in post. Let's get it right in the camera. Right. And, you know, like I said, there's there's two two different avenues that people come at photography. And one is people come at it from a computer experience and then others come at it from a photography experience and um you know there's people who never picked up a digital camera before but they have extensive computer editing backgrounds and so they're able to create essentially whatever it is that they want whether or not they captured the image in the camera correctly to begin with and you know it years ago i thought well you know that's, that's kind of fake and Whatnot, and I always tried to stay true to to capturing the image correctly and getting the best exposure that you can. Um, but now I see that it's just it's just another artistic avenue, and and it's it's not something to you know beat somebody down over or judge them for. And I'll, I'll be honest that you know, like you were talking about swapping out skies, um, that that in and of itself has been a great learning experience for me, just how to use some of the other tools in Photoshop besides the basic curves and layers and exposure and, you know, things like that. So once you start working with layers and and you understand how they work, it does give you a lot of freedom. And and I can definitely see the appeal to that. Yeah. I mean, as, as long as, as long as we tell everybody what we did that, Hey, I swapped the sky out and don't, present it as a you know i captured this in one frame in the camera as long as we say what we did that's fine because because i think you're right i think it does become a a, it's digital art instead of photography Mm -hmm. i think and and the the worry that i have is that when people don't disclose what they've done and it it is somewhat fake and a little bit deceiving that it sort of degrades I'll put this out there and people may disagree, but I think it might degrade the value of photography being viewed as an art. Mm-hmm. When we sort of manipulate and don't disclose that this is digital art, not photography. Yeah. Um, because, you know, photography has never been one of those traditional arts. And it's sometimes in certain circles not viewed as art. And when we start to chip away at that, at, at the, um, I don't know, the honesty or the, the value of photography by deceptive practices, I think that just hurts the cause for it being viewed as art. Right. And if if you're a new photographer that's just starting out and you're you're looking at these other images from people that you look up to and, you know, you think, man, this guy's a master or, or she does some amazing things with a camera. And then you come to find out, well, all it is is complete Photoshop and blends of different images. And they really weren't in that location when they took the image and so <laughs> forth. I mean, 
it can it can lessen your credibility as a photographer if that's how you're presenting yourself if you openly admit you're a digital artist you know no big deal but um yeah i i just think that being open about it is is a good thing it's the key for sure for it sure. is and you know what what i'm seeing recently not just some of these trends in you know adding things and totally manipulating an image is uh, you know if i look at images even from my workshop people uh, i hope when they listen to this i don't mean all of them just a few <laughs> and stuff online and on 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 internet sites and stuff i'm seeing a trend toward uh, you know not really a creative photograph anymore I've seen a lot of postcards, you know, mm-hmm. and and I don't I don't know what that is. It it, it just seems that, um, yeah, I, it must be. I, I don't know. I just think that, uh, you know, um, it's just there's a lot of a lot of mediocre stuff around it, and I, I think that either people are not slowing down enough and not thinking about what they're doing, or, um. All I want to do is nail stuff that other people have photographed. You know, it's, I, I I don't know, but I I don't see I see stuff from people like you, Darren, and other you know photographer friends of mine. You know, really doing good stuff. But the average average walking around kind of you know, amateur or advanced amateur, I I just see the creativity, not not. Not uh, moving, moving in the right direction. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, one thing I always tell people, you know, whether we're shooting at a iconic location or not, is that you know, even though it's an iconic location, you can still put your own take on it. You can find different vantage points. You can absolutely. You, you don't always have to sit right in front of Mesa Arch and take the shot. There's if you walk around that entire area, there's tons of images to be taken. Yep. Um, you know, one morning and that, I mean, that's one of the reasons we don't take our workshops groups there anymore is just because it's such a small area and there's usually too many people. But, um, the, the first time that I was there, not leading a workshop, but with some other people, um, <laughs> there was almost a fight that broke out between two people that wanted to stand in the same spot. Yeah, I hear this from a lot of people. And and I just took off and started walking around and, and looking for other other things to shoot. And I ended up, in my opinion, getting a much better composition and, and a better shot than the people that were all standing right in front of the arch just because of the way the light was coming up, you know, with the clouds and stuff. So I just I, – I always tell people, look around and, and try to find something – different you know you know it's it it's okay when you're at those locations it's okay to get the postcard shot but that's sure. not what that's not you as a as an artist expressing yourself i mean get the postcard but then go out walk around find those unique compositions and something that really speaks to you yeah outside of that you know it's it's get it out of your system as jack always says yep Yep. And just, you know, I, I, I just think that, you know, I, I think that the people who are successful as, you know, artists, um, 
the the image is almost the secondary uh we've talked about this a lot it's a secondary uh aspect to being where we get to go and see what we get to see and that kind of thing you know and i think if you have that kind of an attitude the image will not only be a little more creative but you know there's no pressure and when you don't have pressure that's when things happen right i think yeah yeah your creativity flow better yeah i think so too i mean it's slowing down and getting in touch with your surroundings but you know a lot of people that fly into these locations are you know we all lead busy lives and we're all wanting those trophy shots a lot of people and uh and they just want to get this get this done and kind of tick it off. That's kind of this mentality that's coming into this now. Is I think a lot of it's Facebook and that kind of thing. It's it's uh, it's an outgrowth of that. And I don't know if people know it. If you want to be uh, told how great you are on Facebook, you can buy likes. Just go to <laughs> Google and type in "buy likes for Facebook." They're they're very cheap, and you can look like uh, you know you can look like John Peterson, you know. You can be a hero, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Darren, let's let's. What's your philosophy on post processing? Um. Well, my philosophy is um, a one. If you and, and this this is different for every type of photographer there are, but but as a landscape photographer. You know, try to get it right in the camera. Try to try to capture the light when when the light is hitting the mountain the right way, or or it's shining through the clouds the right way. I mean, that that's essential. That's but the art. That yeah, that's the patience that it takes to to be the that. I mean, the craft. I, I visit locations over and over and over again to try and get a better shot each time. You know, but um. Post-processing for me is very simple. Um, I tell people that I can usually post-process my images in about five to ten minutes, and they look at me like, well, I just watched an instructional video where the guy took four hours to do a picture. And I was like, well, that's nice, but that's not my style, you know. (laughs) So it's basically a little bit of raw processing. Um, I use Nick... uh, or DXO now. Yeah. I use I use their filters for um, most of my images. There's there's a couple in there that I use on all my images um, with a very very slight hand. Um, and then basically it's just uh, creating a master file and then creating a, a web version. Um, and it's not so much that that I do a lot, but it's just that I have a process that I go through so I know and this comes from experience is that when you take a picture and you see it on the back of your camera, I already know what I'm going to do to it in post-processing. So I'm not hunting around looking for, well, do I want to do this or do I want to do this? You know, I always, I can get it home. I can process it five, 10 minutes, and then I can always go back if I think of something later. But, and and I'd even say, I bet you already know that before you even press the shutter button. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, because because we oftentimes visualize what what our processing is going to look like. Are we shooting with a monochrome intent, a color intent, a dreamy intent? What are we? How are we composing this? What's what do we want to tell at the end of this at the end of that process? Right, and I when I do road trips and and things like that. I mean, even when I'm not holding my camera, I just look at a scene and be like, okay, yeah, this is what I would do. You know. Yeah. I can look at it. I can be driving down the road, see this beautiful old barn or something, and I, in my head, 
the the final image already looks slightly different than what I'm seeing with my eyes because I already know how I'm going to process it. Yeah, and I, and I got to tell you, I always tell my workshop folks uh, do that because you can learn how to see things. When people Free say, well, visual how do you see? I, when people look at look at you know good work and they say to the photographer, "Boy, how did you see that? How did you do that?" You can learn how to do that just precisely the way you do, Darren. You can learn it. Pre-visualization is is key in my book. It is. It, it is, and you can learn it. It's mm-hmm. not. It just takes time. It's like anything else. So practice. Yeah. And, and yeah. you could do that in your car, just like you you were saying. That's oh, a I great, do it all the time driving point. around. I'm just like you. I think I think a lot of photographers are like that. Where we just see with this sort of photographic mindset, we look at the light quality, we look at shapes, textures, patterns. And we just see this in our daily life going about it. And that's how we practice and keep our mental muscle in in shape. Yeah. Just don't drive off the road. No. <laughs> well, it's, I can yeah, attest. I, <laughs> I was looking at Crescent Lake, John. I, yeah, yeah. So yeah wandered in the ditch. That's it. <laughs> so it's, it's a little private store there. there. Yeah. yeah I, I Trust me, I, I'm right there with you guys. I have <laughs> I run out the road a few times with some of mine. Uh, yes, officer. I was visualizing the light. <laughs> always have a good reason. Uh, always. Uh, so, which sort of prompted me to go. What, what's the funniest thing you've ever seen out uh, photographing? <laughs> okay. Today? No. This, this is hilarious because so last year I my daughter had. Um, I took my daughter with me one day on a photo adventure because it was take your daughter to work day. And she asked me, she goes, Hey, can I, can I go with you tomorrow? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So we drove from Denver out to this old building in this old schoolhouse out in Eastern Colorado. And it was still dark out. (laughs) And just as we were turning off the main road to go down the gravel road to the old schoolhouse, she asked me, she said, Dada, she said, What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen when you've been out taking pictures? And I thought to myself, and I thought, well, you know, I am out at a lot of odd hours at night, and I do see a lot of a lot of weird things that you know just kind of don't make sense, or you think people are places where they maybe shouldn't be, stuff like that. So we get to the schoolhouse, and I get out, and I it was still fairly dark out, but I wanted to just grab some shots with the with the blue hour and whatnot, and. I started looking out the back of my camera, and there's a deer head sticking out of one of the windows. What? And I'm like, no way. No, no way. And so I I took another picture, and I zoomed into 105 millimeters. Sure enough, there was a deer head sticking out of one of the windows. And I, my first thought was, is it alive? Did it get stuck in there, and it just can't move? Or did somebody put it there? And so I, I walked back to the the car and i told my daughter lexi i said do you want to see the weirdest thing i've ever seen while i've been out taking pictures she goes yeah and so i showed her the back of the camera and i showed her the deer head sticking in there and she got out of the car and she walked over and i showed it to her um and and the reason this is weird is because i've shot this schoolhouse before and there's never been a deer head in there before and so we stayed there for probably i don't know probably an hour and a half and i was i was googling how to tell if a deer is dead? You know, are their eyes closed? Do they, do they, when they die, do their eyes close or do they stay open? Or, and I'm, 
I didn't want to get too close because there it, there is a fence around it and it does say no trespassing. Um, so to really walk up and look at it, I didn't want to do that because because of the signs. But um, so I came home and I showed the picture to some people and they were like, I don't know. And then come to find out some other people had went out there and yeah, somebody had stuck a deer head in one out in one of the windows, but because the deer head was, was the horn, it had a big set of horns on it and the horns were outside the window too. So that's what was making me think that if it got its head down and got the horns out, it probably couldn't get back in. But yeah, somebody stuck a deer head in the, in the window, but that was, that was probably the most interesting thing I've seen. Um, I, I've seen naked people on beaches. I've seen, um, I've seen Playboy photographers shooting models in Key West, Florida, naked. I've, there's I've a seen. Of, a there's a lot of, of nudity in your world, Darren. <laughs> it's, I guess that's what the beach attracts. Yes. <laughs> So, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I can't say I've, I've seen a deer head. Um, that's a that's a good one, Jack. Anything come to mind for you? What's the weirdest thing you've seen? Oh, we might have lost Jack. Uh oh. Uh oh. Well, he might join us again. I'm back. No, I was just uh, clearing my throat, and I, I have a button here to do that. But uh, the weirdest thing, John, is yeah. probably you. I, uh, I am pretty weird. <laughs> Like this great furry blob out on the beach. You know, we must be doing the wrong thing because we never get to see any of this stuff. I know. There's, no Playboy models. Darren, Darren, maybe the three of us should do workshops together. How about that? Yeah, have to find, we'll have to go to the beach. Um, the, both of those instances were were many years ago, but but they did happen for sure. Hey, um, Darren, do you remember NPN? I mean, that's kind of where you and I met, I believe. Uh, I, I remember NPN. Back in the day. Yeah, that's where I got a dose of reality from some people who weren't afraid to say what they thought. Yeah, it was great, though, because there were great people there, and yep. you could really take uh, take take the criticism knowing you know who you knew the people you could you know use it from there's also some other folks there but you know you had guys like adamus and, and guy and and michael gordon and lon overrocker and yep. you know all sorts of good people there and their input was invaluable and you know it's npn is back are you aware of that i am i'm aware that it's been taken over by some other people um it's it's not necessarily a place that I want to spend a lot of my time. Um, I'll be honest. I don't follow a lot of photographers. And my reason is this. Probably a good thing. I see people who follow photographers. I see couples who hook up and become boyfriend, girlfriend, or and or get married. Right. And their photography starts to look exactly the same. Yep. So I try, I mean, I have a peer group and I have a photography club that I, I'm a part of. And, you know, but just to, to sit down and have a list of, you know, like a hundred photographers, I just, I just don't do that. I, I just don't follow people because yeah, I think that's a great philosophy, you know, and I, I've seen people who have 
it, it's always good to improve your photography. And, and I, I'm a true believer that water seeks its own level. So if you hang out with better photographers, the chances are you're going to become a better photographer. However, if your images start to look just like theirs and there's a lineup of 10 images online and I can't tell the difference between yours and theirs, that's yeah. not a good thing. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I have I, I, I played a lot of music in my life professionally, and I, it always amazes me that, to hear, you know, like musicians that want to play like other musicians. Mm-hmm. So there's people imitating Coltrane and, and imitating Miles and imitating Charlie. If I want to hear Charlie Parker, I'll go listen to Charlie Parker. I, I, you know, I don't need to hear Joe Schmo playing like Charlie Parker, frankly, you know? Yeah. So that's a kind of a good attitude. I, I enjoy more, um, as far as other photographers go, I, I enjoy reading other people's view on life and, and stuff like that more than, you know, studying a lot of images. Um, one of the things that's interesting, too, is that there are so many really great photographers that were around back when the uh, quality of the image wasn't what we have today, like Weston and Minor White. And I don't I don't see people knowing the history because they don't go back and look at those folks work because it just is it it's kind of like i don't want to listen to that record because it's like an old recording even though the music's great you know mm-hmm. so i i think that's a good thing to do but i agree with you trying to trying to imitate people is not going to get you anywhere what right I, yeah i totally agree i you know i think i will add though you know when i first got into this many many years ago i st- i looked and studied a lot of other photographers and a lot of his historical photographers as well, but even current ones trying to learn, learn the craft. And then as soon as I got to the point where I felt I was competent enough to support my own learning in my own creative direction, I like you, I kind of stopped following a lot of photographers. I really don't do that much anymore. Like Jack, I'll read a lot, but, but I, I think that's a great point, Darren, that, you know, what we're exposed to, we we assimilate inside of us and we start to mimic a lot of what we're exposed to. So, you know, folks that are, you know, Instagram addicts will start to emulate a lot of the Instagram looks and feels of images on there. Yeah, I agree. Oh, speaking of news, something just popped in my head when I said that. I saw, a, I didn't read the article, but I saw, it was either on... Uh, f-stop or petapixel somebody was making a camera with a vertically oriented sensor for in instagram i don't know if that was real or or a, a spoof god bless them but i saw that come out and uh i just sounds like it should have came out on april fool's day exactly i just kind of shook my head and moved on i didn't even want to read it well darren i have to tell you and i'm not just saying this because you're here and and we've known each other kind of for a lot of years but in preparation for this uh, podcast, I did obviously go look at your stuff on your website, and I would encourage everybody else to do that. John's going to post some show notes. Um, you know, your your work is is so – it's just so there. You know, it's not over the top. It's not overdone. It's, it, it's kind of very similar to what I aspire to do, and – 
<clears throat> I think um, you're to be commended for that. And I appreciate that. Too many people are, too many people are. In, I call it the 500 px effect, you know. And and uh, your 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 stuff is just just really nice. Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, is 500 px still around? I have no idea. It is. They, yeah, it was it bought by a Chinese company. <laughs> in fact, the guy who started 500px uh, is now, I think, a business development person for Luminar. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's interesting. But, um, you know, it, it's just crazy stuff. And, and your your work, do you, you know, you, on your how's your print business doing? Do you sell a lot of prints? Uh, yeah, I sell quite a few. In fact, um, I can tell you that the print business was was roughly 33% of my income last year. Wow. Good for you. And so if there's anybody that's listening that, that is interested in how to get into selling prints, um, there's two ways to there's three ways to do it. A, you can just do it on your own and people can direct order through you. Um, B, you can have a website like Fine Art America, or C, you can have a custom website that um, you pay somebody to build for you, and you can go that route. And I've I've had that route before. The problem is is that you have to take care of all the marketing yourself, mm-hmm. and that, that's fine. I mean, that's not an issue. Most people are on Instagram. Most people are on Facebook, whatever. But having a website, and, and really, I, I shouldn't even tell people this, but I do. Um, having a website like Fine Art America um, that takes care of all the advertising for most part, um, they take care of all the fulfillment, and they take care of all the financial stuff is is a no-brainer for people who want to get into selling photography. Um, there are a few limitations, obviously, that you don't get to pick. You don't have as much control over the print. Um, you don't have control over the exact papers they use, um, things like that. But for people who just want to sell their work, Fine Art America is a great place to start. Um, what normally happens is I have people who see my website and then they contact me directly because they want something slightly different. You know, they want an acrylic that's actually printed on paper and then face mounted rather than printed on the acrylic, you know, mm-hmm. or they want, um, a metal <clears throat> print that is not printed or that, that has the white gloss on it. Whereas, through Fine Art America, they get the uh, – it's a silver gloss. So if you have white areas in your image like clouds or light shining on a building, then the silver area shines through. Um, with the white gloss, it, it makes it much more realistic to what the people actually see when they're looking at the image. Well, <clears throat> to sell prints these days is amazing. Indeed, yeah. I mean, I think I think both Jack and I have experienced a little. You've you've done a really good job of positioning your art to sell prints. I think uh, both a little bit of what both he and I have have experienced is the 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 drop off in print sales has been fairly dramatic from from what it was. You know, the stock business isn't 
anymore what it used to be and but uh yeah kudos to you dude for for uh doing such a good job with this i mean your website folks Absolutely. Might, so i will post this up on uh, on the show notes but definitely check out darren's website darrenwhitephotography.com um fantastic images all throughout thanks no i, I really not, and, and i i don't you know, if you listen to these podcasts, I haven't said that to everybody, although everybody we, I think that's been on has good stuff. But your stuff, I just I, I just I just really just love the way it's done. It's not overdone, but it's very dramatic. Thanks. I, I, I love being outside and I love being able to capture these images to share with people. Um, it's rare that I go somewhere on a trip where where I don't have a camera. Well, I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping that we can run into each other sooner rather than later, uh, Darren. And you know, it's it'd be a hoot to spend more than forty five minutes here just catching up. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep you guys posted when I'm back in Oregon. Yeah, um, please do. Please do. Yeah. Please do. Yeah, we'll come down. So, with that, Darren, any final thoughts? We're just kind of just about out of time. Anything uh, you want to last thoughts and wisdom? <laughs> Uh, nothing that I can really think of. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you know, it's been a, a pleasure reconnecting with you and having you on the show today. All right. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, we're workshop leaders, Darren, but I, I'm going to tell our folks here to, you know, it's always good to, we'd love you to do every workshop you do with us. Mm-hmm. But that's really not the way to do things. And I would really encourage you all to get a hold of Darren and find something where where he is. I think it'd be time well spent, and uh, you'll 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 get a different view on life. And uh, you know he's a he's a good leader, and take advantage of that, folks. Yep. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, John, with that. I'm going to go to over to the other corner of my room here and get down, get on my office. my uh, my Fujifilm um, extratographer call here at eleven o'clock. All right, well, and um, say uh, say goodbye to Darren and hope to see you soon, Darren. Keep keep doing your thing, man. We, all we right, take care. In this keep business. All right, folks. Well, if there's anything you guys want to let us know about, again, we have an email address info at wetalkphoto.com. No, we talk photo at gmail.com. Sorry, screwed that one up. Um, but thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes and uh, keep on shooting, folks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.